folding pocket. The Fast and the Curious is part of the Acast Creators Network. Subscribe now so you never miss an episode. Thank you. Hello, welcome to The Fast and the Curious. My name is Christian Hugill and I'm here with Betty Glover and our team principal, Greg James. Betty and Greg, hello. Hello, Christian. Christian, hello. (laughs) Hello there, hi. I'm very glad you're both here with me for a special episode of the podcast, something a little bit different. Now, we all know I like Formula One, possibly too much. No. Yeah, I know. Do you? Never knew that. It's breaking news. And actually, I've I've got a challenge for you. Oh, yeah. This season, Mm. I want you to love it even more oh god i definitely love it more a year in all right there you go so yeah i think that should be doable you know i love us chatting to the drivers going to the races making up songs about team bosses leaving goodbye gunsteiner <laughs> and I've, I've had the most amazing last 12 months of work doing f1 stuff but off track and this is not news to producer jimmy betty or greg but off track last year was a a rubbish year for me, like a really horrible year, uh, a very difficult year. And uh, I wanted to to talk on this podcast about it a little bit, because one of the main reasons it was such a tough year was that in the spring, in the early spring, my mum was diagnosed with uh, dementia uh, and specifically with Alzheimer's. And for anyone that doesn't know, it's a set of very horrible symptoms that basically affect your brain mostly in memory loss. It can also affect your vision, your speech, your movement. I mean, pretty much every sort of function that's powered by the brain. And and as I've just said, you'll often hear it paired up with Alzheimer's, a disease featuring a lot of those issues. And it's almost always, it certainly is in my mum's case, a life-changing diagnosis for everyone involved. So it was a a huge shock when we found out about mum. Uh, And obviously, with us being friends outside the podcast world and with you guys working with me closely, I I told you guys quite quickly because unfortunately, even though my mum is, is young for a dementia patient, she's in her mid-60s, she has deteriorated quite rapidly and, and she's a very, very different person, unfortunately, to how she was a year ago. And watching that deterioration has been very tricky for me and my family. So, yeah, it wasn't always the easiest year when we weren't messing about on this podcast for me last year. So Christian, let's tell the listeners why we're discussing this on the podcast today, because you've managed to find a Formula One link, haven't you? I, I, I mean, of course I have. It wouldn't be me doing my job if I hadn't. But yeah, we um, we got a message in the Fast and the Curious Instagram inbox in the very early days of this podcast. This was just before my mum's diagnosis, spring last year, saying, hello, we are Race Against Dementia, uh, a charity committed to finding a cure for dementia, headed up by Sir Jackie Stewart, who is a racing legend. Um, Not just because he's a multiple Formula One world champion, but because also he is one of the most important figures in F1 history in terms of making the sport safer. And his wife, Helen, was diagnosed with dementia as well. And, and, and in true, you know, in true Jackie fashion, so Jackie Stewart set up this charity to go, right, let's fix this. And we're going to use the ethos of Formula One, the sort of world beating ethos to drive, pun slightly intended, forward a cure for this. And uh, that's what Race Against Dementia do. What did you first notice 
about your mum that was different or changing? It, it, it was my dad that noticed a couple of concerning signs going back about 18 months. They used to go away in a camper van in a motorhome. Dad, dad tells me about a time where there was one particular incident where they were ordering a, a cream tea, like tea and scones. One of my favourite things. Wonderful thing. And, and mum couldn't <laughs> love, a, love a scone and tea. Really do. That does not surprise me. No. And by the way, cream on first for me, but I'm getting sidetracked. Um, but m- mum couldn't find the word for a scone. I think it was that same trip, but there was a point where um, mum had gone somewhere on the campsite, a very basic little walk out and got lost. And she actually rung me. Um, and said, "I've lost your dad," and it was like, "This is, this is worrying because this isn't, this isn't right." Um, and that was actually quite a long time before a diagnosis, probably eight nine months before a diagnosis. So that was when things started to change, Greg. I think. Obviously, your your last six months have been like a sort of roller coaster in a way, and you've opened up to us quite a lot about it, like you said earlier. But can you sort of explain what those six months have been like and what it was like once your mum got the diagnosis? Yeah, I think there's two sides of once she got the diagnosis because we she got the diagnosis, as I say, in the spring. But we'd been worried long before that. So getting the diagnosis was really a sort of crushing confirmation of what we already knew. And so once she got the diagnosis, I was crushed and cried a lot because it was like this this new version of my mum is my mum now because she's very different and that's not going to get better. That is going to get worse. It, and it has changed all of our lives, especially my dad, who has been on this podcast. He was on stage with us at the British Grand Prix last year. He, you know, he, he's he's become a full time carer to my mum and it's a massively different lifestyle change. Christmas was a a key reminder because Christmas 2022, my mum cooked a full three course meal for six people. She was an amazing cook. And everyone says their mum's an amazing cook, but everyone knew how good my mum's cooking was. And then 12 months later, this is someone who can't make a cup of coffee anymore and, and can't go to the toilet unaided. Good morning. It is nine o'clock. On Christmas morning at the Hugh Gill household, um, I wanted to record something on Christmas morning because I mean, it summarises quite well where mum is. Um, there was a very sad moment. I mean, most of the time mum's oblivious now to what she can't do. But there was a very sad moment yesterday where dad was getting the Christmas dinner table ready. And mum started crying because she realised that that's something she normally does. And she tried to help dad. But she doesn't know where a... She doesn't know what a fork is compared to a knife. She doesn't know where it goes. So she sort of pottered around to try and help for a couple of minutes and then just went back to watching telly. And I think um, a lot of people we've seen over Christmas still just don't quite understand how bad it is. I can't really believe where we were 12 months ago and where we are now and how quickly it's all happened. But uh, for me, my brother and my dad, it's about making sure she's as happy as she can be. And um, as my dad keeps saying, playing the cards we were dealt and just making the best of it. So we're going to try and have a lovely Christmas day. Merry Christmas, Mum. Oh, nice cuddle. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. 
Love you. Love you. <laughs> I mean, checking I'm, checking I'm safe. Mum's decided that she can play the guitar. Never expressed an interest in a guitar in her life before. But is now adamant she can play one and has asked for one for Christmas. So we've got a one. So we're all very excited to see Cheryl Hugill play the guitar. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special occasion. It's the first Cheryl Hugill guitar concert. So everybody put your hands together, round of applause for Cheryl Hugill! <laughs> song called please a guitar a guitar yeah excellent well i for i for one thoroughly enjoyed that mum did you enjoy playing yes christian that is such sorry that is just such an amazing clip cheryl was an absolute legend i mean that must have been one like it's quite a special moment she is a legend. She absolutely is. It was the confidence that she had when she picked that guitar up. I was like, wow. Betty, in many ways, dementia has made her full of confidence. She came to the Fast and Curious live show, uh, which we did just before Christmas. And she was so excited about that. And she's always loved Sam Ryder. And she woke up one morning and said uh, to dad in bed, can I get up on stage and sing a song with Sam Ryder? So, which she'd have never have said before. So certainly dementia's given her a blast of confidence. It really has. Tell us about your trip to Sir Jackie Stewart's house then. Yes. So, so this was so strange in the best possible way. We obviously wanted on the Fast and the Curious to, 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 to work with Race Against Dementia. And the lovely people suggested, well, why don't you come and have a chat with Sir Jackie and his son, Mark? Great. Lovely. That would be fantastic. And what we didn't expect was for them to say, why don't you go to their house? You know, they've got a house in the UK, a house in Switzerland. Why, why don't you go to the UK home where they're living over Christmas? And it was like, what? I've been watching this man since I was 10. Do you know what, Christian? It sounds absolutely amazing. I just want to hear it. I just want to listen to it now. Um, and also what's coming up after it? Because he's not the only one you spoke to, is he? No. So in a moment, we're going to hear from an amazing woman called Dr. Claire Durant. She is a doctor and researcher who works with actual human brains. Like, you know, when people say oh, it's not brain surgery, is it? This is as close as you're going to get. Like, it's unbelievable. And she's one of the most important people on the Race Against Dementia team. And she is one of the sort of hands-on people being like, right, we're going to fix this. We're going to sort this. So we'll hear from Dr. Claire in a minute. But first, Betty, your wish is my command. Um... This is what happened. I'm going to I'm going to really save her saying this because I'll never say this again. This is what happened when I went to Sir Jackie Stewart's house. Betty, can I just say, I hope to God he didn't say the brain surgery line to the actual brain surgery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he will have, Greg. I, 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 honestly, I've got everything crossed. I, I hope this is serious, Christian. So we've made it to this very grand and pretty house if you're newer to f1 sir jackie's a proper legend he won three world championships but it was in the 60s and 70s and it was a time when drivers being killed in grand prix was common he he made it his mission sir jackie did to make the sport safer and that was controversial at the time 
because a lot of people thought you were sort of stripping away the essence of F1 if you made it safer. But he and other people did it, and F1 is a far safer sport now. And I guess you could call Race Against Dementia his sort of latest mission. He's inspired by his wife, Helen, being diagnosed with dementia. And Helen's not just his wife. She was someone who was a key person by his side, a key part of his team throughout his career. So let's go inside, shall we, to Sir Jackie's house. Good morning, how are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm very well, thank you very much. I imagine you'll be doing the interview in Sir Jackie's study. Okay. So it's right there. Fantastic. So Jackie Stewart and Mark Stewart, welcome to the Fast and the Curious. Well, thank you very much. Nice to, to be here. Well, <laughs> it's really nice to be here. We are in your study, which still looks incredibly Christmassy. There's a, a blue Santa on your desk, Sir Jackie. The fire's on behind us. It looks like the perfect sort of winter home. It is a winter home. It's lovely, but it's a good summer home too. Mark, presumably it's been an opportunity for you guys to spend a bit of time together at Christmas. We're recording this a, a couple of weeks after the big day. Yeah, no, it's, it's lovely. You know, we, we, are, we are very um, very fortunate that we're a very close family. So uh, uh, spending Christmas together here is, uh, is pretty impressive. So Jackie, sounds a busy Christmas with plenty of dogs running around as well. Yes, we have uh, two Norfolk Terriers, Jack and Joe. Um, <laughs> they're wonderful. Uh, and Norfolk Terriers are great characters. So I've got quite a few of them. Wonderful. Now, we should talk about the reason we're here, about Race Against Dementia, your charity. Obviously, it's, effect- it's something that affects all of us in this room. Let's get a broad overview first. How is Formula One helping in the fight against dementia and how does your charity sort of link the two together? With Formula One... Problem solving is faster in Formula One than any other activity in the world. Faster than aerospace, faster than anything you can give me. If there's a problem on a Wednesday, uh, it's fixed by a, a Saturday. To say that there is no cure for dementia that helps people come out of dementia or avoid it completely, that has to change. So we're using Formula One, for example, because of problem solving, getting things done quickly, thinking new ways of doing business. That happens in Formula One better than any other business that I know. So we have great support from the senior management of Formula One and the governing body of the sport, the FIA. And when you understand that motorsport is probably more global than any other sport. We're reaching out wherever we go. We've got PhDs now, young professors, now in South Africa. We've got them in Australia. We've got them in many countries in the world. It's a global event to get good quality talent. So I think we're better equipped today to find a cure than we've ever had. And it's done extremely well, but we still do not have a cure for dementia. And I want that to happen in my lifetime. I mean, if I just add to that, you know, my father, like a true Scot, has never missed a good good battle. And whether it be racing Formula One cars and winning championships or safety in Formula One, now this is his latest battle. And uh, he succeeded in all of them. And he will succeed in this one, I know. It's a great inspiration, to be honest with you, because his energy, his passion, and his motivation is unbelievable. What gives you that drive to sort of fix things in the way you now want to fix dementia, like you sort of fixed it so that motorsport is so much less of a dangerous place? 
Well, I think it happens because of passion. To see Helen, who was my timekeeper, my lap charter in Formula One round all the corners of the world of racing that I was in, to see that Helen can no longer walk. She has trouble remembering anything at all. I mean, a second later, she can't recite to what was just been said. It's a very painful experience, and more than pain for Helen, the whole family gets affected. I was driven to improve things in Formula One and in motorsport for safety, because all my mates died. So for me, there is no doubt that we can find a way around the problem of dementia, but we have to be able to get more support more PhDs, more talent, and everybody be, to be more aware of it. And to think that one in three people who are listening to and seeing what we are doing now are going to die. And we are turning around and saying to them, and the medical profession is turning around to us and saying, well, I'm very sorry, we don't have a cure. That's not enough. And, and from what you two have been told, is it a realistic aim I, I think it's very realistic. Today, we have available medicine and technologies that we didn't have available years ago. Um, we've also now got people like us, like Race Against Dementia, who are seeing that there is a problem. The incentive is, this is gonna cost NHS, it's gonna cost insurance, it's gonna cost families, it's gonna cost so much uh, to, to take care of the problem going forward because it's becoming a bigger problem, not a lesser problem, that we need to find a cure. So the incentive is there. What we do need is support, you know, donating towards the cause and to helping and getting more PhDs out there. And, and that we're doing, we're in almost 20 of them globally right now. And they are so encouraging about what they're doing and what areas they're looking at. So we're now finding out what the problem is. We understand what's happening in the brain and but we now need to know how we can either slow that down, stop it, or clear it up. I, I'm amazed by so much of, of Race Against Dementia's journey. I, I'm amazed by the, the the sort of positivity because something that I think me and my family have struggled with after my mum's diagnosis is, you know, if you if you're in a bad relationship, you think of ending the relationship. If you're in a bad job, you think of ending the job. The sort of big things in life that you can sort of do to to fix stuff and with dementia um i, I know my mum's not going to get better how, how did you guys deal with that as a family sir jackie because as you said with with helen you know she was not only your wife and your best friend but your timekeeper and such a, a crucial part of of all of that in your life that's an area i've really struggled with personally how did you guys as a family sort of come out fighting as it were you know it it's such a, a terrible illness it can destroy families and it's very tough on a family that's a mommy or daddy and they brought you into this world and you should be able to help them get out of this world with some quietness and some loss of pain that would otherwise, as we are at the present time, suffering for a lot, an awful lot of people. It's just the most awful, sad way for a family to find 
their loved ones in that condition. It's an emotional experience. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got to do something. You just can't cry. And that's what I'm doing with Race Against Dementia. I mean, you, you know, whether or not we can help my mother uh, is, is probably unlikely. But in the future, could it help me? Could it help you, Christian? Could it help our kids and, uh, and everybody else's kids? Uh, what advice, Mark, would you give to families listening to this who are experiencing it? What advice would you give them? Because I think that's, again, something me and my dad and my brother in particular struggle with is actually finding the advice and help was was quite tricky. What would you say to people who are sort of at the start of the journey and think, actually, this is a bit overwhelming. I'm not really sure what to do here. Hmm. I think dealing with it, confronting it uh, is the best way. There are moments of aggression and moments of pain. I mean, yesterday, last night, my mother was particularly aggravated, but it's you just have to learn as you go and, and take all the advice you can from other people. Talk to other people are having the same problem. How are they solving that issue? Do you ever get used to that side of things, Sir Jackie? You mentioned you, your wife had an aggressive phase last night, which is, again, what my mum goes through. Does that ever um, ease? It's a very, a very painful experience for all concerned. You've got to take the abuse that come, come through sheer fear and aggravation because we're not doing anything for her to cure her. We are. We're doing our very best. We've got some of the best brains in the world playing with us. And it will be a cure because, you know, the, nobody could go to the moon. <laughs> uh, and, you know, therefore that was something that just never happened and wouldn't happen in a lot of people's mind. But it did happen. And they've done that. So... Uh, nothing's impossible. There are no problems. There are only solutions. And there needs to be, in every country, better support for those with dementia and Alzheimer's. But at the moment, there's very little being done to help them. And we've got to do that as well as find a cure. I, I, I want to thank you both personally because, um, as you know, it's something that's affected me, my family, my dad, my brother in particular, hugely over the last 12 months. You know, it's tested us like I don't think anything's ever tested us before. Obviously, it affected my mum so much. It, it, it can sometimes feel so lonely and isolating. I think today sitting in this room is genuinely the first time I've heard such positivity about the illness, about actually we, we can fix it. It all feels so helpless and that's as I say personally the thing I've struggled most with so to hear you two today say no well we are going to fix this um it it, it actually means a huge amount so so thank you for everything you're doing with the charity I, I I I can't imagine the difference it's going to make in the long term I really appreciate it the reason why race against dementia exists is because of mummy because of your energy daddy and you turning a negative into a positive and I think that's what we need to do. And if I would say anything to you, turn that negative into a positive, do something about it and, and, and do as much, talk to many other people about it. Mark, so Jackie, thank you for inviting me into your home. Uh, and and in, in case there was any noises at the end of the interview, we've just been joined, sat on the sofa next to me by one of your lovely dogs that you mentioned, Sir Jackie. So it's such a pleasure being invited into your home and obviously for, for everything you've done and, and continue to do in, in this fight against dementia. 
in this race against dementia. It's so appreciated. So thank you, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for supporting us. Back in the car, parked at Sir Jackie Stewart's house. <laughs> Never going to be able to stop saying that ever. It's just so weird. And that was like one of those moments. I don't know if you've ever had this where you're watching your own life on film. Like it didn't seem real. I felt like I was sort of just watching over myself because I'm there in Sir Jackie Stewart's actual study with him just there in his slippers in his actual house. Very strange, brilliant, but but really, really surreal. And I just, I tell you, I've thought this before with like, I've always thought with sports people, you can just tell the difference between the champions. I've thought this one, I've interviewed Max and Lewis, that air of a drive and determination to obviously not just win, you know, win races, win championships, which, which is there in Sir Jackie's case, but also win the fight to make F1 safer, win this fight to find a cure to dementia. And obviously Sir Jackie and Mark were talking about those doctors and researchers that are helping to find a cure. One of the first to join the team was Dr. Claire Durant. And, and we're talking here about someone who's properly on the ground, trying to make all the things that Sir Jackie and Mark just spoke about happen. I am fascinated to hear more about what she does. Well, Claire, let's start by saying uh, welcome to the Fast and the Curious and thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on. Dr. Claire, let's talk about you specifically. Where does your work specifically fit into Alzheimer's dementia symptoms? So I'm really interested in understanding how the connections between nerve cells and your brain die. So we think that the way that brain cells communicate with each other is that they're talking across these little junctions called synapses. And we know that one of the first things that happens in dementia and Alzheimer's disease is that these synapses die. What exactly causes that? We're not sure. So I'm trying to use real live human brain to understand if we can see what causes these structures to die and can we prevent it? Now, this fascinates me straight away (laughs) because I've seen a video of your work in your lab and you have got living human brains. Yep inside a dish how Absolutely. on earth does that work and and how does it sort of relate to the greater good relate to this work you're doing absolutely so whenever i say that i work with live human brains people either imagine that i'm some sort of frankenstein's monster or that i'm on some fbi watch list i'm about to get arrested because funnily enough most people who have a living brain like you and me are not particularly willing to donate pieces of that to scientific research no however There are groups of people uh, where living brain, you can get from those individuals in an ethical way. So I work really closely with amazing brain surgeons here at the University of Edinburgh who operate on people who unfortunately have brain tumours. Now, these brain tumours can often sit quite deep inside the brain. So in order for the surgeon to actually remove that effectively, they have to cut into a normal piece of brain on top. Now, that normal piece of brain would normally go in the bin. But with the patient's permission, so they sign a form saying, I would rather it didn't go into the bin, I'd rather it go into research, and permission from the University of Edinburgh, we can literally stand there in the operating theatre, receive this piece of brain from the surgeon, race it back to our lab in a taxi, dissect it into really, really thin sections, and that live piece of brain can then be kept alive in dishes for several weeks. So it's a really unique way of being able to actually study what the human brain does in a dish. And we can add all sorts of drugs and treatments 
to really explore how human brain works in Alzheimer's disease. So if the brain is still functioning and there is still some life in it while it's in your Petri dish, is that enabling you to better understand Alzheimer's in a way that wouldn't have been able to have been done before that? Oh, 100%. The brain is really, really hard to study, um, certainly in live individuals. So usually we get donations from people who've died with Alzheimer's disease, and that can give us a kind of, a a bit like arriving on the scene of a car crash. We can see what's happened, but we don't necessarily know the sequence of events that led to the destruction we can see in the brain. What we actually need is a live CCTV. So just for example, in F1, if you were looking at a call that someone had made or wanting to replay how something went wrong, you'd actually want to capture the live events before the incident happened, whilst it's happening and what happened afterwards. And being able to access these tiny little pieces of brain in a dish allows us to do exactly that. We can watch it the entire time. We can add different things and play with the experiment to give us new ideas about what's happening. I couldn't just go up to anyone here and just add a random toxin into your brain to see what happens. But we can do that in a dish. No, I mean, at the very least, I'll have some questions about that at the very least. So now I can completely understand that. (laughs) Absolutely. And you mentioned Formula One. This is a Formula One podcast. So I understand some of the amazing work you do. It already fascinates me. But how on earth does it relate to Formula One? And where did Race Against Dementia, Sir Jackie's charity, come into this? So Sir Jackie Stewart started funding my research back in 2019. So I'm the first cohort of his Race Against Dementia fellows. And one of the things that he really liked about my project was the idea of using these live human brain slices as a new way of studying the disease. Now, where the link with Formula One comes in is a slightly more unusual aspect. So an example of one of the things we've been doing is that we treat the days that we get human brain tissue almost like a pit stop. So the moment that we have that brain tissue coming out of the skull, the clock starts and the quality of that tissue and the quality of the results will depend on us getting it back as quickly as possible, being efficient in how we cut it up and how we move it into the dishes and every team member knowing their role. So on human brain days, we can have five or six team members all working in tandem, trying to bring that together. And we've gone from a system which was very rough and ready to an absolutely well-oiled machine using some of these Formula One principles. It would be easy to look at Race Against Dementia, a charity that's headed up by this legend of Formula One. It would be easy to look at a link with a charity and think it's a sort of a marketing thing. But it sounds to me from what you're saying, and and let's be honest, you know, you're a a medical professional, you know, first and foremost. It sounds like this this Formula One link is more than just sort of marketing spin. It, It sounds like there's the Formula One element is actually helping. Is is that the case and, and, and how and why? Yeah, absolutely. So I think when the charity started, we were almost learning on our feet a little bit. And as you know, member of the first cohort, I can sort of attest to that. In the sort of first couple of weeks, we were going, well, we've got these amazing minds from Formula One who want to help. And we've got these amazing scientists starting the projects. How can we work together? And the way I manage my teams, I've learned a lot from um, McLaren and Red Bull. I've given some talks to the fellows about how they do their debriefing, how they do their strategy. So science has a real issue sometimes with everyone being siloed with their individual projects, all seeking sort of individual glory. Whereas you can imagine if an F1 engineer tried to design a car on their own, they'd have no hope against you know massive teams like Red Bull and Mercedes. It's all about the team and it's all about the ingenuity that that team can bring. But actually having a What am I doing today that's actually progressing us towards our ultimate aim, which should be to cure dementia? And if what I'm doing today isn't ultimately helping towards that, then I need to be doing something else. 
you've just mentioned there that the curing dementia personally the thing i've struggled with most as someone whose parent is going through it and at a very comparatively young age for it is is the is the hopelessness yeah. is that mum is going to get worse that's only going to get more stressful for my dad for us in the family it's only going to get more distressing it feels so utterly hopeless which is why it, it actually moved me when I spoke with Sir Jackie because he said look we can do this we can find a cure but with the greatest of respect to Sir Jackie Stewart he's a legend but he's a racing driver and racing drivers tend to think anything's possible they're a bit mad in the best possible way that's how their brains are programmed but you are an unbelievably clever medical (laughs) professional so I I sort of feel the need to ask you the question almost more than Sir Jackie are you as optimistic as they are can we actually find a cure for this absolutely I really really do believe we can and for the first time this year it's a small step but it's a really important one we have drugs that can improve the mental health and cognition of people with the disease That has been completely unheard of in this field up until now. And finally, we're now getting the attention of governments. We're now getting the attention of the general public. People understand it's not just an inevitable part of aging. These are diseases. And diseases are something that can be cured. So I really think we're entering a new era for Alzheimer's disease where we're going to see the end of it, hopefully within some of our lifetimes. And I'm very optimistic about that. Just the level of progress is huge at the moment. I guess it's easy to think if a cure hasn't been found now, will it ever? But but it, I think the one thing I've taken from doing this documentary is that sense of positivity that actually we might be able to bloody cure this. So okay, it might be too late for my mum, but goodness me, it would give me a lot of comfort to know that my children their children might not have to go through what we've gone through because it is just horrible. It's the worst disease I can think of. It honestly is. And I always liken it to saying, you know, cancer and heart disease, exceptionally cruel, really horrible diseases. But you have the comfort that that person remains themselves during the disease. Mm. And Alzheimer's, it is a terminal disease. People currently will die from Alzheimer's disease, but it also robs you of yourself. It robs you of your memories as well. And I think... Previously, it's been sort of this almost joke in aging, you know, oh, I forget, you know, I forget people's names and ha ha, isn't that kind of funny? When actually, as you've described so well, the reality of it is you can't think of a crawler disease. And I'm so motivated by the thought that one day people might not live with that fear and that families won't be broken by dementia and having to make horrible decisions about their family members. There's so much changing and it's changing year on year. I really do see a lot of hope for the field as a whole. As someone whose life has been turned upside down by this, seeing people with your knowledge, drive, commitment, enthusiasm for getting results honestly means the world to me. So so thank you, Claire, and to you and all your team and what you're doing. It's amazing what you're doing because you, you are giving people like me and us who are affected by this some optimism. And I, and I, I think that's, obvious, that's priceless at this stage. No, I'm, I'm so... Yeah, I'm so humbled to hear you say that. I mean, we're all affected by it the same way that you are. You know, I've had family members with dementia. I've seen it firsthand doing what you're doing and actually openly and bravely talking about something that's so raw and so horrible. And 10, 15 years ago, no one would have talked about publicly. We're going to see a revolution and it's going to be driven from all parts, from scientists, from members of the public, to the media, to the government. That's how we're going to make change. Claire, I'm the first to admit the things I can't do in life. Science is very much one of them. 
talking is something I can do. So I'm happy to talk about it. I'm all right with talking. Many would many would argue I talk far too much. Um, but uh, but Claire, <laughs> thank you so much for, for, for you talking to us and taking the time. Really appreciate it. And keep up the amazing work because honestly, it is it is amazing. So thank you so much. No, my absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Christian, that is an extraordinary piece of radio an extraordinary piece of interviewing and i am so proud of you oh and I, I i think that is sensational and something that i never thought this podcast could sort of morph into so thank you for taking it somewhere else somewhere completely unexpected and that's really going to mean a lot to a lot of people listening well that's that's really lovely because um this podcast in the last 12 months has brought me a great deal of joy in what was comfortably the worst year of my life. And I'm not just saying this, I'm really not. But the warmth of Fast and Curious listeners has just been such a wonderful addition to my life. So I've, I did want to talk about it on this podcast because I do feel people listening to this, you know, you know me. you And you guys will tell you, you know, that me on this podcast is no bloody different at all to me off this podcast. I did want to to share it. And and also I'm aware that um I used to think it was something that only affected older people. But Greg, we I know you've got personal experience with it. You know, there will be so many people listening to this who have had a mum, a dad, a sister, a brother, a granddad, a grandma, whatever, a cousin, anything affected by it. And it's you know, as Sir Jackie said, it's devastating. So no, I did want to open up, to use a horrible term on this podcast, because um this podcast means a lot to me, as is your guys' company and, and the lovely messages I get from our amazing listeners. But obviously, having worked so closely with you over the six months, like, we know how much it's affected you. I remember when your mum got the diagnosis and I remember when you told me and it's watching you go through this has been genuinely devastating to see. Like, it, it's been so tough for you and I know it has and you've done so incredibly well Christian and that those two interviews are amazing because you're using it to help other people hopefully down the line and I think that's incredible um but Claire what a woman sorry the fact that she's got a brain in a petri dish that she's keeping (laughs) alive yeah (laughs) sorry yeah she did she delivered that that news so casually and calmly then she, she she mentioned about being on, on an FBI watch list, but I just couldn't stop thinking about a potential sort of row of brains that she walks. That's her office. I, I'm constantly thinking about it. It's like something off a film, isn't it? But but Betty, what you said is so right, because um, it's just showing that actually there is something that can be done because, you know, so much of it's been confusing for me and my dad, especially to work out what to do, to get a diagnosis in the first place, to get people to take it seriously. It has been hard and it might be too late for my mum. But if we can get some donations to this charity and drive some attention to this charity so they can put more resources into getting a cure for this, it would make me so happy as a 32-year-old to look back when I'm 62 at this programme and go, obviously what happened to mum was awful, but this doesn't happen anymore. And they genuinely believe that's possible. 
They genuinely believe that's possible. Who would have thought that Jackie Stewart with his slippers, Claire and her brains in a Petri dish and Christian and his microphone are going to save the world? <laughs> it might just happen. It, it might just happen. Christian Hugo is so extraordinary and so magic <laughs> that it might just happen. I, I believe. I really do. I'm putting it more down to Sir Jackie Stewart, if I'm being honest. But you, uh, just, you mentioned his slippers, Betty. I'm obsessed with that study. Well, when you save the world, you'll be able to afford one like that. (laughs) (laughs) And I shall fill it full of dogs and F1 tats like Sir Jackie has. Speaking of F1 tat, hey, it's the season soon. I'm looking forward to that. Woo! Greg, you said to me the other day, I do wish there was an F1 race today and I really am back in that period now. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I woke up on Sunday feeling quite tired and sort of shuffling around the house. And Mm. I thought, oh, I could just... Just sit and eat toast all day and watch, you know, a mm. Grand Prix. Not, not even a good one. I'd, I'd take a, I'd take a mediocre one. Eat toast all day. Surely you can get a better snack board than that, Greg. For Christ's sake, F one's usually in the afternoon, so you can do better than toast. Just sit and eat toast and butter. What's that's nothing, nothing, nothing better than that. Sometimes, oh crap. Crumpets. Oh Maybe my crumpets. God, I got into crumpets at Christmas. Yes. What do you mean you got into crumpets at <laughs> no, Christmas? No, no, I rediscovered them at Christmas. I'd not had them for a right. while. And then when me and dad were okay. doing the Christmas big shop, we got them. Oh, demolished them. Demolished mm-hmm. them. Anyway. Um, well, no, let, 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 while, we're, while we're talking about bread, because this podcast is, you know, sure. this is all, all things. This is it's sport. It's medical. It's lifestyle. It's fun. It's, it's bread. It's bread. Is everyone aware of the Jewish bread called challah? No, go on, challah at me. Tell me more. Oh, God. So challah is a very soft white bread, which has been sli- maybe slightly sweetened, a little, little bit, not, not too much, but slightly. Betty's face. Where are you going with this? <laughs> I'm just telling you, this is, a, this is elite level snack. I'm just giving, I'm giving the listeners snack advice. Right, okay. This is elite level snack. If you want to just while away a day, watching whatever, with a loaf of bread, pick this loaf of bread. Get yourself a tub of butter and just sit there all day and eat it. Because <gasps> I'm telling you, nothing will go wrong. You'll just have a really amazing time. Don't do it every day or every weekend like I did in the pandemic and got a bit fat. <laughs> but ju- just, just trust me. Just trust me on the challah. Right. Okay. For the first Grand Prix of the season, should we all sit there and eat this bread together with some mm, butter? Yeah. I would, uh, honestly, we should do that as, you know, lights out and hull away they go. <laughs> you can never, you don't ever, ever say okay. that my jokes are crap on this podcast again. You've lost that right now after that one. We're all as, we're all as bad as each other. Uh, don't put me in that. <laughs> we did mention that Formula One's coming back very soon and there's lots of things to talk about. So there'll be a much more regular edition of The Fast and the Curious next week where we talk about that. But before we go... We should say a massive, and I obviously want to say a massive thank you to Sir Jackie Stewart, Mark Stewart, Dr. Claire Durant, everyone at Race Against Dementia. Um, and thank you to, to, for listening to this and, and, and humouring me with my sort of personal story. If you want to donate, please do to the brilliant work they do, because like, I've seen it firsthand. It's properly amazing. Head to raceagainstdementia.com. And all the links are there. And then we'll be back very soon with more updates from the F1 off-season as we build up to car launches, testing, racing, and and, and bread. Yes. Oh, we're, get, we're going to the actual, some of the shakedowns and the car launches is going to be, I, I really can't wait. One of them's on Valentine's Day. 
And to spend Valentine's Day with you, Muppets, is going to be wonderful. Best Valentine's Day of your life, everybody. We really should go before it descends into even more bread-based chaos. Bye-bye now. Thank you for listening. Bye.